It's another Football Friday. Welcome to Across the Line. It's a special episode of the show because it's not just Chris and I waffling on about football. This time we actually have five individuals to join us, all of from the uh, Kai Academy. And they, they get an opportunity to really speak to us about what it's like to be a part of youth football today. And we've talked a lot about youth development and, and the next generation of football players. But this time we get to hear it from them. And uh, it, it's... It's quite a fascinating chat that we had with these five gentlemen. And, and personally, I learned quite a bit from it, Chris. Yeah, I think it's really important that we give the youth players a voice because mm. it's all well and good us speaking about youth football, but we're not the ones actually participating in it. Right. So I think it was important that we gave um, them a voice and an opportunity to express some of their views. And they do so um, extremely well. Right. Um, they're a bunch of very well-spoken, uh, eloquent, articulate individuals who have very firm opinions on how things should be done here I, in the Philippines. I so. think that's something that really stands out in this conversation is how well thought out their ideas are of the subjects that we talked about. And there are five of them in this episode. So there's a lot of mic passing going along and uh, there might be some changes <laughs> in level and, and, and such, but uh, bear with that and, and really take in sort of what they're they're trying to put out in their ideas and their experiences that they've had uh, throughout their footballing careers so far. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to bring up was that these guys have played together for six years and it really comes through what it means to them to be playing with one another for an extended period of time. And um, that's not something that everybody gets a chance to um, experience. You know, it's only something through like through football that you get that um, continued bond that you guys have to stay together, work together, fight together, um, recover from defeats together. And you can tell that that has had a, a significant impact on their personal development. And I think one of the interesting things about this particular conversation is the fact that, you know, we as adults might prioritize other things. Mm. You know, it might be winning. It might be trying to chase that college scholarship or, 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 or prioritize other aspects mm. to, to the game but really when you strip it all down these kids talk about how fun it is to play with one another yeah. and it's really really important that we don't lose sight of that as educators as parents as people involved in the youth football community that we we always prioritize fun and the social element and all of the trappings that come with with playing the beautiful game you know there's a lot of parents who listen to this show a lot, a lot of parents who are guiding their kids through their footballing journey and you can see that the impact that parents have, even if you're, um, even if it's not your parent, how other parents are acting, they can see it. They they notice it. It's not something that they're oblivious to, and they can see what effect that has on their peers. You know, and um, they're very much astute to everything around them, the whole environment, and they know what helps them move forward. And you know, to me, it was very, it was very much of a. a a, what's the right word for revelation? It was like, you know, um, I really learned a lot from how to push uh, potentially my future kid in, in into this sport and to any sport yeah. for that matter. And know? I hope what we really from this interview, what we're hoping will come of it is that these are conversations that if you are a footballing parent, your kids are having these conversations with their teammates. Yeah. You know, they're, they're having those conversations. So um, listen to what they have to say, because I think it's really, really important in terms of how you as a parent, um, you as a coach, you as a director, you as a mentor, how you influence these kids really, really matters, both mm. positive and negative. So take that responsibility and really make sure that you influence in a, in a positive way. And um, they outline how they think 
Um, They should be treated. They outline how um, they would like to see their instruction and how they would like to be supported. And um, yeah, I hope a lot of parents who listen will take heed of their of their uh, callings and I, also I hope this sparks some some conversation among some of our younger listeners as well because I hope that they're having these conversations with their peers and their teammates. So please do enjoy the conversation with Enzo, Diego, Mick, Teo and Juan. Uh, we definitely enjoyed having them here in the studio and speaking with them and, and listening to their ideas. And if you like this episode and you like the podcast, that we, uh, the, the content rather, that we produce here on Across the Line, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple uh, Podcasts. And uh, please do rate and review the show. Share it with your friends. Um, get the, the message out there so we can you know, talk more about the, 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 the things that matter in football all right so uh another football friday enjoy the episode it's a special edition of across the line today we don't have one guest not even two guests we've got five individuals who have joined us in the studio today and we're taking advantage of the fact that there are you know no classes ongoing and uh, we figured it'd be the best possible time to bring in these individuals and, and to, to have a conversation with the next generation of, of standouts in the Philippine stage. Yeah, so we uh, decided we wanted to talk about youth football, but have a different kind of spin on it. Mm. Uh, obviously, we've given our thoughts on youth yep. football and how we think we could push youth development forward. But ultimately, we have some of the young, fine prospects of our academy here in the, uh, in the building today. How are you guys? Good, good, good. Thank you. Um, Just for the purpose of the listeners and the viewers at home, um, why don't you introduce yourself? So, Diego, would you like to tell us a little bit about you? Uh, I've actually got a set of questions. Tell me your school, your position, your age, favorite team, favorite player. So, I'm from Saber School. I play for the U17 KFC Academy, and I'm a midfielder as well. Uh, One of my favorite teams I support is um, Real Madrid as well. Real Madrid, mm, okay. I don't think that's going to go down very well in this room, <laughs> just so you know. So next thing we have, Mr. Camerhort. How are you? I'm good. I'm Juan Camerhort. I'm 13 years old and I'm a center midfielder for the U14 Kai FC Academy. My favorite, I'm a big fan of FC Barcelona. Ooh, is it and, uncomfortable sitting next to Diego right now? <laughs> and my favorite player of all time is Andreas Iniesta. Ooh, nice choice. Good choice, good choice. And at the back there, Mr. Corbet. Well, Enzo Corbet, I go to Brent. Um, under 15 for Kaya, I'm a center back midfielder. Um, I support Marseille, and my favorite player is Dimitri Payet. Ooh, good wow. pronunciation there, very nice. So I'm Mick, I go to ISM. I am the striker of the Kaya FC U15 elite team, and my favorite team is Liverpool. I've been supporting them my whole life. Is it, is it because your dad supports them? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. And my favorite player is Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane. Uh, I'm Teo Seldran. Uh, I'm his twin brother. Uh, I'm a center back for the U15 Kaya Elite team. And my favorite team would definitely be Kaya FC. Oh, that is the correct answer, right? Who's your favorite player ever? Uh, probably Lionel Messi. Oh, no, I thought he was going to say me. <laughs> I don't ask him too much. Favorite, second favorite. <laughs> thank you, Taylor. But, but thank you for coming in this morning, guys. Um, it's, uh, it's something we wanted to do for a long time, isn't it? We mm. talked about getting parents in, getting some of the players in. So I guess one of the one sort of small upsides of having a virus is you guys are off school at the moment. So we have the pleasure of bringing you guys into the studio. Um, I, I want to really start at the beginning for you guys. And I just want you to sort of talk to us about how you started 
to play the game really because you guys have come through the system here in the Philippines and I want to find out a little bit more about how you started so let's begin with Juan how, how did you start playing here in the Philippines um, I started playing football and I was about so Juan just try to get that a little bit That's closer it. to you like a fist away from your mouth Perfect. yeah okay. I started playing football and I was two years old um, my dad really loves football like it's a real passion for him so as young as I was he taught me to play football and I guess I just can't Imagine not playing it. I've been playing it my whole life. Okay, that's great. What about you, Taya? How did you start the game? So I think I started out when I was around two and a half years old. Also, yeah. Um, I think uh, I was in a park one day when I noticed like there was a, a like a, a, a academy training right beside me. So the next day, uh, my mom decided to put me in it, and ever since then I've been like watching and playing football my whole life. Who was the academy? Uh, Mondoñedo. Mondo, which is now Mondo International, is that right? Is that yeah? But I think they're still going. I think yeah, still, yeah. I, think I still see them in the sevens. Well, the sevens, right? That's right? the same same group. Mm. Okay, so that's when you, that's when you first started. Yes. What about you, Diego? How did you start off playing the game? So I started off when I was around four or five. I joined my school varsity team. Then that's when I started to develop the love for football. But at first, I wasn't necessarily sure if further I should play. But throughout time, I was able to grow closer to the sport and be able to know that football really is one of the sports that I really want to play. This was in Savior? There's a yeah, varsity team at four or five years old already? Yeah, for the nursery team and the ones that are about to enroll to the team. Oh, wow. They take sports serious, isn't yeah. <laughs> they? They breed champions early. <laughs> awesome. what, about, what about you, Enzo? Um, well, I think I started about three, four years old, like most of the people here. Um, and again, it was I was inspired by my dad. He would play with a French, with a bunch of his French teams. Right. With a bunch of French teams around the, the Philippines, a bunch of his French friends. So watching that, growing up watching that, I felt like I wanted to play as well. Um, I started off playing with Brent, the varsity team of Brent, at a very young age, maybe seven years old, when I started going to Brent. Um, I hopped around a few academies, and then I finally found home in Kaya when mm. I was under nine. So okay. here I am today. I'm guessing you're similar to, similar story, to me. Shout out to Coach Butch. He's <laughs> the one that got us into football. Okay, Coach yes. Butch. I know Butch. Yeah. yeah. He was your first ever coach. Yeah. What, what, what sort of things were you doing when you were three, four years old? What sort of drills did Coach Butch have you doing? It was mainly just getting to like know the game, getting to love it. Yeah. It was mainly just like running, like dribbling around the cones. Yeah. A bit of shooting as well. Yeah. But yeah, mom, yeah, like that usually. Okay. And what was it about football that that know, grabbed you? That obviously I know we know your your father is heavily involved in football. He was he, he well he thinks he's a player or was a player, right? So like, he keeps telling us he was a player, right? Well, we, 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 saw him, we saw him in those over-50s uh, sevens league. We're not, not too sure how good he actually is, but he always tells us back in the day he was really good. But is, is that where, is that what sort of initially grabbed you, like his, his interest in the game? Or is it something yeah, that you, you just picked we, up yourself? A bit of it. And then also since I've always been really hyper when I was young, <laughs> I think football's really like, the best fit for me since ever since I just want to run around, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So, I I, I want to find out a little bit more um, about and sort of dig deeper, really, is, into what what aspects of the game that you really enjoy with football. Okay, so let's take Enzo, Enzo Corbe for example. So you said you started off at, at Brent and you went you jumped around a few, a few academies, but what what was it about um, playing the sport that particularly piqued your interest? Well, I think the part that really attracted me to the sport was, I mean, this gets you out of the real world, you know, 
when you have a ball at your feet, nothing else really matters. A lot of people say that, and it's true, because when you do play, when you're in a game, that's all you think about. But later on, last year, I found out um, another part that really attracts me to the game is the fans. Playing for the under-16 national team in Indonesia, mm. the atmosphere against Indonesia. In Jakarta, the atmosphere was insane. 4,000 fans, mm. and obviously like that's not that much compared to pro clubs, but 4,000 fans for a 15-year-old, 14-year-old at the time, mm. that's something to behold, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, okay. Something I'll never forget. So I think that that's what really made me want to go pro. Like before that, I was kind of uncertain, but after experiencing that, I think it was like a turning point in my you know future career. Interesting. I was actually going to ask about that, about who among you would were thinking about going pro, but maybe we can go back to that in a little while. And we'll ask the rest about uh, what is it, what it is it about the game that you guys really love. So yeah, I love everything about the game, but like since I was young, I actually attended the first ever Kaya Academy training. First ever? Oh yeah, they were there. Yeah, you seen the I was pictures? there since day one. Yeah. Ever since, I just loved it. It's interesting. I, I, I just love like going outside and just having fun with your yeah. friends. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to go back to Enzo. Enzo, you you jumped around a few academies, right? They found you know you found your home at Kaya Academy. Do you mind explaining why that is? What what was the difference between Kaya and the other clubs? Did you went to? Well, what had me jumping around was, I guess, the lack of playing time. Even though I was pretty young, I felt that I was deserving of a spot on the team. But I was with MFC at some point, at a point. I was maybe six years old, seven years old, maybe even eight. But I remember complaining to my mom that I wasn't getting enough playing time and that the players that were there from the beginning were the ones who were in the starting lineup. It was set in stone. And I was upset with that. I jumped around. I think I played like a, or a bunch of other clubs, but it lasted super short, maybe a training or two. Um, and then I found Kaya in Cuenca. Like it was a small group of people. It wasn't elite. It wasn't very high. In, like it wasn't high intense. It wasn't high intensity like it is today. But I think that really developed the love for the game and for the club. Mm. Juan's another one who jumped around a lot. We were talking off mic earlier. He was a little bit flaky. As a, as a youngster. T t tell me about some of your experiences because you started off playing for a number of different clubs, didn't you? So I started off playing with my dad because my dad used to play football when he was younger. Yeah. So I used to play with my dad. And then, um, so my dad, when he was younger, as a lot of parents today, they used to play for MFC because that before was basically like the only club. Yeah. Okay. So my dad was looking for clubs for me, but I was two years old and no one wanted to take me in because I was too young. <laughs> yeah. Until... My dad, his old coach, Tomas Lozano, let me in. He let me play there for one summer camp. And I just loved the game. I just continued playing ever since. I played with... Um, I went to MSA, Aguila MSA, for about two to three years. Mm -hmm. Until one game... Because I wasn't really getting much playing time. Like, Kirby, I wasn't really getting much playing time since I was a lot younger than a lot of my friends. Until Coach Chris saw me one game and he asked me why I wasn't playing. Then I said, oh, I don't know with my coach. I just haven't played yet. And right after that game, the next week on a Friday, I joined Kaya, 2013, never left since. Do you wow. want to tell the full story? Because he he's left some bits out, or shall I fill in some of the blanks? Mm -hmm. So basically, I'd met Juan uh, on a mini vacation about two weeks earlier. I was actually at Mikanteo's house in Batangas. So we were yeah. having a mini vacation, and then this young upstart just showed up and he was very good with the ball very handy very mm. technically good he must have been what five six six years old maybe six years old something like that 
and uh, I was like, oh, wow, you're really good. Like, like, oh, maybe you should come and train with us one day. Your friends are there. And he was like, oh, yeah, but I'm already with MSA and I've been there for a few years now. I said, okay, cool, no problem. Yeah. And then that following Sunday, we played at Nomads, right? It was yeah. Nomads. And um, everyone had left and he was the only one left at the, at the field. And he could see he was like really upset and uh, kind of similar to Corbet's situation. It mm. was all about he didn't get a chance to play. I said, right, enough's enough. You're coming to us on Friday. And you've been with us yeah. ever since, pretty Seven much, years. right? So yeah, lucky, lucky for us because uh, he's been with us for a long time now, and he's and he's having a good time, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, Diego, obviously, you said you got your 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 start with with Xavier, and I know Xavier is probably a different. Uh, certainly, the younger age groups they have a tendency to be um, they, they push their kids through the system quite quickly, don't they? And, and it really is competitive from yeah. from the get go. Is that something that you enjoy? Because I know as a young kid, you were you were very competitive. Yeah. You know, I remember you from being six, seven years old, and you were very competitive. Is that something that you embrace uh, in the Xavier program? Is it something that attracted you initially to to, to playing the sport, or was it something else that grabbed your attention? Actually, one the competitive aspect of the sport is what really got me into it. Because ever since I was young, I never liked to lose. Every even in training, even just in the simple drills, every time my group would lose or I'd just not be able to do the certain drill that we needed to do. I'd normally get mad really quickly. So like ever since then, I was like realized, okay, if I'm this competitive about this, something like this, if I'm competitive about this sport, that means it's something I really care about and it's a sport that I really want to do. And ever since then, I just tried to bring that competitive aspect, every single training, every single game, just to be able to, not just be able to bring it out in myself, but also to be able to somewhat bring the competitive spirit to my whole team as well. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. just just to so say, you know, a little bit of background with some of these guys, like in specifically the 05 group, um, um, Mick, Teo and, and Enzo's group, Xavier's school were especially strong, weren't they, in the younger age groups? And I remember seeing them as probably maybe seven or eight-year-olds and they were absolute monsters. They were just destroying it. <laughs> Everyone, I remember. Do you remember the game we played under? Yeah, we lost like four zero. Four zero, right? You were probably on the bench, right? Or something there. there. That game, no and uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is like horrific. Like it's yeah. absolutely really. We had a good team. Right? We had a pretty good team, but we, we were just so far behind. And, and one of the things that I think is quite interesting, which we sort of touched upon a little bit today, and I just I would like to know what your your guys take it on this is. A lot of those kids are now with us, aren't they? And they're now in the in the program. Oh, really? And uh, and I think one of the interesting aspects with, with, that they felt was there was too much emphasis placed on winning at the younger age groups, mm. and it wasn't enough on development. And I think we ended up playing them a couple of years later, and didn't we? And we won. I think it was like six, seven, one, wasn't they it? Turn around, yeah. Right. Oh, wow. It was a complete polar opposite in in such a short period of time. I mean, there's, there's a lot of studies that sort of talk about how uh, at a young age there are different factors that play into why kids enjoy football so really what I wanted to, to get to nail down with you guys is is what is the thing about football that attracts you the most is it the winning is it the the fun is it the fact that you get to interact with your friends like I would love to know what it is about football specifically like if you could only pick one thing what is the aspect of football that you enjoy the most Mick why don't you go first I think it's having fun because that's why I started and that's why I keep playing because like my friends, see my friends are training every day. It's like motivates me to do better and have fun playing football. Yeah. So yeah, it's mostly like having friends that play the same game as you. So it's more the social element for yeah. you? Really? I mean, it's more of a combination of everything, but that's like the most. If you were to pick one, that would yeah, be your one? Yeah, that's what stand out for me. 
That's quite mm. interesting. All right, Teo, what about you? We haven't heard from you. So it would probably be just the feeling of like playing with your friends on the field, like just like the. I just find like uh, games really fun because you get to play with your friends while also being competitive, and you have something to work for, like a league or something. Mm. Like you have a goal, mm. and when you like accomplish your goal and win the league, you feel super happy. Okay, what you Diego? Um, similar to them, it's just like being able to having that sort of family, like your team. It's like a brotherhood you assemble with everyone in your team, and at the same time, being able to be together and work towards a common goal is just something that really attracts me to the game. Because for me, what's important in youth football is how people are able to develop their um, relationships with their teammates. Because being able to develop those relationships with your teammates is what enables you to be able to succeed as a team and individually as well. So that's why I feel that playing foot, um, the being with a group and being with a group that you're being happy, you're able to be happy with and be able to stay close with all the time is important. Okay, Enzo, well, can I say joy or is that too general? No, no, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the thing that attracts me the most, if I had to pick one, would be the joy that I get with the ball at my feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, like I said, I'll mention again. Um, when I have the ball at my feet, I don't think about anything else. Uh, it's just. Uh, whether I'm dribbling, I'm passing, I'm shooting, I'm aiming at so I'm at the goal. It's just, it's a feeling that can't be matched. You know, just mm. having one thing on your mind and one thing only, it's something that just gives me absolute joy. It's, it's crazy. Okay. What about you, Juan? You want to grab, grab the mic? Um. So, like, similar to Aspie or Diego, I've had the same team in Kaya since I was like six years old. Mm. Um, with Kirby, Mick, Teo, um, and other people. And we've sort of like, we've grown together ever since before. And we've had fun together. We've gone through our bad times together. Mm. And we've recovered for that by improving. And um, yeah, there. So I just enjoy being with my friends and I enjoy having fun, but as a unit and going up and down together. A lot of these guys have played on different teams. Mm. Um, for example, your school—you play on, on some of you played on school teams, some of you still do. Um, have you had any sort of negative um, experiences with being within the team? Because you obviously talked about I, I love being in a team. I love the camaraderie. I love the fact that I can socialize with my friends. Have you been on other teams where the focus hasn't been on that and it's been on something else, and it's had a sort of negative? impact on you if you experienced that at all Juan um, in, in any of your other teams well in my former team like in MSA um, I um, I didn't get me about three of my friends didn't get any playing time mm. like I remember three games specifically where we didn't play at all we just went there and sat on the bench the whole game yeah and so we were like kind of excluded from like the real team and so, like you said, I wasn't happy about that. And that's why I'm forever grateful that you found me, Coach Chris, and that I was able to go to Kaya. There's been a briefing going on prior to this, you shouldn't, have been, you shouldn't have come in late because you, you would have heard <laughs> me, listen, you've got to talk me up a lot, boys. Okay, make sure you talk. But you know what's quite interesting about yeah. what, what Juan is saying there, in, in my opinion? Um, he was six, right, when he had this yeah. experience. It's not like it's something that he's had when he's older. And it stayed with him now. Yeah. And he's, four, he's 13, turning 14. Yeah. So seven, eight years down the line, he still holds that feeling. Mm. Um, 
And it's, it's sad, isn't it? It's one of sadness because I'm guessing in your mind you think, well, I, one, I should be playing because I think I'm good enough and you were, you, were, you, were, you were a very good player even back then. But also that even if you weren't good enough, you, you should have the opportunity to play the game. Right. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't have to be... Oh, that, everyone, everyone should have an opportunity to play. Football is a joy to a game to, to enjoy. Mm. And, and it shouldn't just be because you're an elite athlete or your, your team has a greater chance of winning without you in, in the team. It shouldn't be that way. And right. the fact, I think that Juan has highlighted that he's had a really negative experience as a six-year-old, but he can still remember that, that feeling and that moment. I think, yeah. that's, I think that's quite sad. And I think people should take responsibility for that as, as coaches and as um, uh, parents as well who are involved in youth football and really understand the... Uh, the gravity of the decisions that you make and mm. because you know not I'm saying it was me but I mean had, had we not have realised that you had not been playing and had you not expressed your discontent you know we might have lost Twan to another sport to, yeah. to another game maybe which would have been a travesty because he's exactly. a wonderful wonderful player and six years in you're still here enjoying the game right developing yeah. every day that's exactly what you want yeah. in terms of you know a sport inside a country any any else anybody else here with a, a negative experience perhaps that you guys have experienced um in the last few years Go on, Diego. so the, the negative experiences i were encountered was that a lot of the players that played on those school teams they just treated as like um they wouldn't they'd had a lack of commitment in a sense so ever since then i was like okay every time they would I was like, I have to be able to attend every training I can, every game I can, and put in as much work as I can, if that's what I really want to achieve. Because every time, um, as we grew older, we'd realize the importance of commitment to the sport. Because as you grew older, you realize that you need to put in the work if you really want to succeed. So over time, we'd re I'd realize that, okay, since because my school team had a, a lot of my player, my teammates in my school team had lacks of commitment, I realized that, okay, I need to be able to some tell them or be able to make a find a way to be able to instill that commitment in all of them as well. So I realized that one of the negative effects is that a lot of teams now, they just see, they don't have the same amount of commitment as some people do, which causes them to not be able to get on the same page. So And, and I, I, you, we mentioned before that you think it's across, it's not just a thing for your school, for mm -hmm. example, it's across other clubs, other teams, mm -hmm. other schools as well. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's like a cultural thing? Like, do you think it's because, let's say, for example, academics is obviously a priority f within the Philippine community, especially. Yeah. Is it a case of as you get older, parents are pushing kids, now listen, you, you, you can't be foregoing your, your academics, you need to make sure you focus on that? Or do you think it's just not a football culture here, so people aren't really as invested in trying to develop their football skills as they get older? What, what do you think it is that, that uh, contributes to that lack of commitment as, as people seemingly get older? So the aspect of just, um, yeah, as you said, grades really do matter to a lot of the parents. So that could just cause the people to, the parents be telling their children to focus more on their academics, which causes them to have a lack of commitment. And at the same time, as people grow older, a lot of people tend to have other priorities and other, they tend to go out to the friends a lot more compared to as they do. So that causes them to skip out on training. So. Uh, that's one of the aspects is that a lot of the people in the Philippines don't give as much priority to football and the, as of now like the culture in the Philippines isn't as driven towards succeeding in football compared to other nations as well. Mm. Very, very intense, Diego. You know, I can feel that you know, you're very committed to the game. Is, is this something that you shared all throughout? The team as well? Is everybody this committed to you know, uh, playing for Kaya and, and, and developing your game? So I see Juan saying yes, Enzo. Yeah, of course. 
All right. Because one of the things I think is quite interesting with that is I don't know all of your academic backgrounds, but I know that most of you, if not all of you, are very, very strong academically. Some of you are smiling though, so I'm interested to know how you guys are juggling. <laughs> yeah, I, I know they're very good academically, yeah. and I know they're extremely, extremely committed, highly committed. Mm. So there's no reason that you can't excel in the classroom and also excel on the field. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no reason why you can't. I know, in fact, all of them, I know are excellent students as well as very committed footballers. How, how, how do you find the balance, Enzo, between you know getting that, okay, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm studying, I'm making sure that I'm doing what I need to do in the classroom, and then balancing that off with making sure that I'm committed to development as a footballer also? Well, I think for me, if I play good on the field, it's like it translates to the classroom and me being good in the class. And I think it's like that for everyone else. Um, just, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So like for me, I think that you should only focus on one thing at one time. So like say you're playing football, like there's no need to worry about like your, oh, I have a test tomorrow or something like that. Just focus on like what you have to do like on the field and then vice versa, like in the classroom, you only focus on your task. So yeah, I think just um, being like 100% focused to the task you're doing is like good for prioritizing what you're doing. Yeah, so I guess yeah. your approach is more sort of compartmentalizing what yeah. you need to do at that specific time. So if you're in the classroom, you're doing science or whatever, but I'm focused yeah. on my science class. When you're at training, you're focused on training exactly. and, you, and you devote that time. Okay, that's quite an interesting mm -hmm. approach. What about you, Tay? I know you wanted to say something there. So something I found like super important as, as, as I grew older was proper time management between like your school and academics. So say I have like a test on Friday and I know beforehand that I always, I always have training on Thursday nights. And then I put off studying until Thursday night, and I already know that I'm not going to do well in the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, what 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 steps, what measures do you take then, Tayo? So I, I always have to like plan ahead. So I I have to know what I'm doing during the week and when I I have free time. So like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. When we so that so that's the time that you. So so when would you allocate time to your studying for that test on the Friday then? If Probably that, the day before Wednesday. Because I don't have yeah. any training there and I have the whole day. Yeah, so then Thursday, you know, well, I've got training, so I'm yeah. not going to dedicate any time to yeah. it then. <laughs> I'm going to be useless if I try to study Thursday yeah. night, right? Exactly. It's not going to happen. Okay, that's really interesting. And I think where that's also really important, the, the, the two, two elements to that that I think are important. One is the commitment level, which for me, I think that transmits in later life. Right. The people who I knew who were committed, and not just to football, they might be committed to something else. It might be dance. It might be, uh, it might be their academics. It might be any pursuit that they choose. That they, they choose as as sort of adolescence and then into into adulthood. I always find those are the ones who are sort of more. They don't bail out on a dinner date. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they yeah. they don't. They're not the one where they they said, "Oh, we're going to shut for drinks tonight or a birthday party," we, and we'll be there. Right, right. You know, those ones who are a little bit flaky about. Attending training, or oh yeah, yeah, you'll be there, coach. No problem. Then you don't see them. You know, they're the ones who invariably let you down in in other aspects of your life. And it, for me, it, it it transmits into in, into adulthood. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I think that's that's something that that I I feel with some of these kids. And then the second one is massively on the time management thing. Yeah, I think that's huge. And one thing that's really impressed me specifically to the group that we've got is their ability to manage their time. Yeah. Because again, well, I think we've got a really good sample group of five kids here. Maybe I've handpicked the, <laughs> uh, the, the best group in that regard. But I would say the vast majority of our kids are very, very good in the classroom. Academically, you know, very, very strong. 
So, and then from that, I think, like, as, as Enzo alluded to, it, it translates. If you're good in the classroom, I think you're good on the pitch. Mm. If you're good at focusing in the lesson, listening to what the teacher says, making good notes, when you go in, on a Thursday night and, and attend a training session, you're going to be focused. Yeah. You're going to be attentive. You're going to retain that information because you're used to paying attention in class. Mm. And then you're going to be able to deliver that message that the coach has given you on a Saturday or Sunday when you play your games. That's just how I feel. Yeah. Then it also tra transmits in other aspects of your life. If you're confident on the pitch and you're scoring goals, if you make your scoring goals, you're going to be confident in the classroom, right? You're going to be confident socially, you know, maybe with the ladies, for example. Maybe, <laughs> you, you know, it has, it, 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 it affects all aspects of, of your life, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think, um, I think they've highlighted two really important points there and, and something that is a hard balance to, to address. But when you do do that, I think the dividends pay off. I think it's incredible. I mean, when I was your age, I would say I was the opposite of what you guys are right now. And that's the reason why I'm not playing at your level. You and that's the I mean? reason why I was late today. Exactly. <laughs> right? Right? There we go. Prime example. You guys are, I'm, I'm setting the guideline for things to avoid, right? I mean, I'm, I'm good at talking. That's what I do now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a football player and that's, there's a reason why, you know, I didn't dedicate myself the way you guys have. And I can see where that has taken you guys, you know, and, and to a certain degree, it's like, mm, I wish I could have, you know, a little bit, just a little bit, you know, yeah. it didn't have to be the whole way, but it would have done me some good. These are lessons that I'm learning much later in life that you guys have already, you know, um, absorbed at, at teenage years. That's 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 great for you guys. I'm happy for you guys yeah. to, to, to hear that. You know? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, I want to talk about other sort of negative aspects or things that could be better because, yeah, as I said at the top of the show, I think it's important that we give the youth a voice yeah. um, and, and let them express themselves. And I know one of the things that issues that you had last year was that you didn't play enough games. You simply didn't play enough games. Mm. Um, you know, I look at the YFL Youth League, and, and again, coming back to your commitment thing, teams were pulling out. Teams would say, no, we'll forfeit that game for whatever reason. Maybe they just didn't want to play us. I don't know. Um, but that seemingly is something that, that has frustrated you guys. And we've talked about this at length um, off mic and in, and in previous practices, etc. But I know, Diego, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier. What, what specifically to that point, what... what um, how has that sort of frustrated you, the, the fact that you haven't had enough games and enough competitive games in the sort of last year or two? So I feel like the YFL League has, is the one that really what pushes us. Yeah. Because that's the one we want to win every single year. Knowing that there's two seasons in a year, we feel that we, we're going to do our best and that's what we work for every single year. So having the lack of games being cancelled and at the same time being pushed back almost every single week, we feel like, oh, okay, I guess okay or work what was the work that week for but we realized that okay we need to keep working and working but it's also just hard to keep working and working knowing that okay we'll be able to play we target to play as much games as possible mm. uh, however the lack of games also is um affects us as well because that's what we want to do we want to see how much how our work in every single training translates to how we play in a game mm. how our work paid off so yeah. the lack of games affected us because it makes us sad in a way because that's what we really want to do. We want to play, and knowing my, ever, since everyone here was my teammate, we all wanted that. We all had that passion to win. Mm. We all had that drive to win. So, just not being able to play games is what saddened us. Because one one of the issues that we experienced last year was there was probably two or three teams that were competitive, right? Very competitive, yeah. and we had really good gains. And thereafter, I think a lot of the games were, and I'm saying easy, but they weren't. They just weren't as competitive as they as they should have been. 
what what messages do you think that either the football federation the yfl or just people like myself who are involved in in the football community what what do you think what measures what steps do you think they could take in order to make it more competitive juan you've got your hand up you obviously have uh, an answer to this um so like you're saying we don't have we have like a lack of games and mm. when we do have our games we often play against the same teams on and on again yeah Ceres, mfc um Loyola, those teams yeah. we play against them a lot i think it would be great for the pff to have like a national league which we could play against visayas against mindanao mm. teams we've never played against to gain more experience and uh, and um, we we won't improve by just beating the same team 7-0 every game. We'll improve with those competitive games playing against teams we don't really know. Like um, about two years ago, we went to Iloilo, our mm, team. Right. And it was such a great experience because we played against like Iloilo. It's like the footballing nation of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, we played against Barotak. We played against great teams there. And we gained so much experience as a team. And we were able to feel what it's like to play, not only in our comfort zone, to go out of our comfort zone to play against teams we've never seen. Because there are a couple of competitions, aren't there? There's obviously that Palarot Panza, and then uh, and then obviously there's re- well, close as I could get. <laughs> and then um, yeah, you have the PFF U15, the regional. Yeah. Yeah, but we all know what happened there, right? Yeah. I mean, that was. Really, I mean, it's really, not a club. It's not a club tournament, and that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, and it's also, and again, what, what some of the experiences that I know you guys have encountered is it was a let's call it a select group of players that were eligible to play it, but it wasn't an open selection, oh. right? And then I know obviously there's players in our team that that weren't called up who obviously potentially should have done. Uh, I don't know if it was this, the case also for the other regions, but it seemingly was just pocket clubs selecting their players and then participating under the banner of whatever the the regional FAs so and and also with that even if it was a selection let's say if it was a Davao selection that's not a formal team that's composed of players who've played together on a regular basis let's say if it was a Davao selection and they're pulled from all these different locations they probably would be put together for just this one competition and then they'll go back to their clubs which doesn't really promote that kind of um sustainable community. development or community exactly which is something that is we, by by listening to our players already Quite that's something clear. that they really really want and it's something that they have a strong desire to experience that level of community mm. so why not have a regular and consistent national competition and for me having it at u15 mm-hmm. is redundant it's one age group right why are we not doing this at under 11s under 12s, under 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, yeah. 18s. I have it every age group. How many games are you guys playing in the YFL? Um, Eight before the final. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So that's that's not too many. No. Yeah. And then you might, and it's over two seasons. So maximum we might get maybe 15, 16 games. That's yeah, what we're at saying. Most, that's like at the moment. That's why mm-hmm. what our coach wants to like, we have a lot of friendly games. So we could like, um, we played against a Taiwanese team. Mm-hmm. We're trying to like, um, play against teams we've never played against and yeah. just keep improving and that's a, that's obviously something that you guys really look forward to I can mm-hmm. tell from from what you're saying and it's the progress as well that that I, I, I enjoy listening to is that they're more interested in the progress rather than the results right I mean obviously the game against Barotak that was a tough game for you guys and mm-hmm. some it was pretty physical as well yeah. do you recall that game um, the game against Barotak because yeah. we don't like when we played against Barotak, we saw like a new side where we really had to play physical. We had to um, like play rough because they, the teams from there, they were playing really rough. Mm. So you really needed to like imp- we after that 
ever since then we really coach Lamas really tried to push us in terms of intensity and like our physical manner because we wouldn't really like try and like you know bump people or whatever yeah. after that he's always trying to enforce to be like if you have the ball no one's gonna get it from you right like that type of mentality awesome to hear now there's something that i believe enzo and teo wanted to mention earlier on did you guys want to jump in on that or some of the aspects that you guys want to see in in philippine football uh, honestly like i just think one one thing everyone here like needs to work on is just to promote football more to like young like really young kids mm. it's like almost everyone almost all filipino kids here like start out dribbling a basketball or something but then they never learn to play football until like later on and then it's too late yeah so um i just think like they need to have like more like camps for little kids here promote it more like more like also professional so because something like kids do is they come to the games and then once they come there those are their idols they want to be like that so that's how they like learn to play football mm, okay that's it's interesting it's, it's been 10 years since you know the whole explosion of football in the Philippines, right? In the Ascals. Did, did that play at all a part in, 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 in stoking the fire or the passion for the game for you guys? Go ahead, Diego. Um, I feel like, yeah, the Ascals, Ascals being able to improve every single year and be able to get farther in every single competition they compete in is really what's helping the country be able to um, Im improve their football and become more of a footballing community. As we th see throughout time, like how Ascals, if they how Ascals are able to in, be able to re bring in more fans, make more people be able to watch those games. That's what is important for the people because a lot of the time now, a lot of people have the athletic ability, a lot of the people have the talent to be able to be really good in football. However, it's just that they're not able to be able to develop their skills in time. And at the same time, with football not being one of the priority, or not being as famous yet in the Philippines compared to basketball, it doesn't open as much chances for the people and the kids to be able to go professional, not just in the Philippines, but go abroad in mm -hmm. such as the States, yeah. England, and wherever they want to play. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah well, and I think all that really just comes down to investment, not only just time, but money as well, because without money, you can't really bring in like the good coaching, without money, you can't you know, organize bigger competitions, higher quality competitions. So I think if we, if the Philippines as a whole, if the Philippines as a footballing community was able to invest more, in the sport and promote it more, then mm. that would be like, that would be nothing but positives for us. How how would you want to see that investment, Enzo? Where would you like to see that? Let's say, for example, we wave the magic wand and we could, you know, get unlimited amount of funds that we could invest in youth football. Where would you like that to be spent? I think it has to be from the top down. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, with the with PFF. I mean, obviously, it has its flaws. Everyone knows that. And I, I was like, I experienced that firsthand. But working working way down, like even some clubs, they're not funded enough. But I mean, when it comes down to that, it's really just people putting in their own money, p people promoting football and promoting their clubs. I mean, do you think Do you think it would help if we had like more facilities, for example? Yeah, of course. Like, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, because you look at basketball, right? One reason that it's super popular in the Philippines is because you look in the street, everyone's dribbling. There's always a hoop hung up somewhere, whether it be a lamppost um, or it's the side of a house a building there's always somebody dribbling a basketball whereas football i mean it's not very i mean it's not it's not as Quite easy good. to play yeah because yeah, you mean on the street yeah you could right barefoot but you're gonna fall you're gonna get scratched i mean your body's gonna take a toll 
playing in the conditions that you could much easy more like you could play basketball in those conditions much easily yeah much more easily i think there's there's twofold with that with that comment like one i would like to see more people engaged in like futsal and street soccer 100 percent, because yeah. i think that is something that's easily without much investment or without much promotion is something that we could do and get what you were saying get more people actually touching the ball in order to do that though there still needs to be a little bit of investment which we talked about on previous podcasts things such as um actually getting balls being dropped in these locations having barangays having government level yeah. uh, initiatives that will incorporate young kids aged three four five six and having them experience touching the ball yeah you know from a very early age and i think that is really really important the problem that we will we'll still encounter though which is you know speaking to people for example who are in like a payatas for example even though they have a football court futsal court where they play yeah it's still taken over by barangay basketball they still take it over right even though they have the slot they're like no 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 come on this this it's out it's out <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna play basketball here and and that will forever be a problem i think um but I definitely think it's something that would help tick a number of those boxes, especially with what you're saying about getting an early introduction to the sport and maybe even toughening up some kids. Because I think a lot of the players that I've experienced need to be playing in that sort of street soccer environment. They need to experience falling down. They need to experience getting grazed knees and getting beaten up by the older kids. Because if you go to Paris, right? You're, you're yeah, French. everyone eats, sleeps and breathes football. And, and, and where are majority of these players coming from? They're coming from, from the cages. Passes, yeah. They're from coming from lower socioeconomic yeah, I think, backgrounds. I mean, a perfect example for that would be Benji, Sian, all the GK guys. I mean, Julian. Do you want to talk to them about them? Yeah, talk about them. Yeah, Enzo. I mean, well, speaking of, you know, like the lower classes and how development, like you, the player just has to be honed, you know, because look at Benji, super talented. Like the ball his feet, it doesn't leave. It sticks to his foot. Crazy guy. But if not for GK, if not for Kaya, if not for GK working with Kaya, then those talents would never be honed and he probably wouldn't be where he is today. Does someone want to talk a little bit about that partnership that we have? Do you want to talk about it, Diego? Yeah, so um, being deep, now that I'm U17, a lot, uh, lit, I think everyone from my team is last year that were GK are all in my team again. Yeah. So as we grew older, we're like, we're able to establish that bond and we realized that, okay, um, we're able to build something here. We realized that yesterday, me and some of them were talking, we're like, since the U15s just had a recent outreach program to the GKs, we're like, okay, we could do something. We could look for a way to be able to promote football in a way. So we, we were thinking like, okay, maybe on a day we're free, we could be able to teach football to people who are not able to, who don't have a court, who don't have a place to play football. Just being able to introduce um, a futsal, any basketball court, because as we know that football fields aren't as, um, there are not as many football fields here mm -hmm. as compared to other countries. So we could just decide that we were coming up with ideas on how we could be able to give back and mm. at the same time be able to promote football in a sense just by teaching the people and promoting football in that community because the the Gawa Kalinga and and Kaya partnership has been ongoing for maybe six years maybe something like that and it initially started with we had a pocket of maybe three or four players that were really really good mm. um, a lot of ability and we brought them in we brought them in so we had um, in your age group we had Sian Gal Sim um, Philip. Benji. Jeffrey. Jeffrey is the first one, I remember. Jeffrey, um, uh, Ting came in and yeah, they did phenomenal. It's pretty much under 12s, under 13s, under 11s. Yeah, that's when they started. And then we had a couple of younger kids came in shortly afterwards. We had Jimmy Gabriola, who was U9, I think, or U8, and Kevin Haddap. And all of those players came in and immediately made impact, like mm. big impact straight away. Um, phenomenal players, technically 
very, very proficient, um, but just lacked probably, I would say, tactical nails because they weren't used to playing on a, you know, a bigger field, um, playing in a more structured setting. But they've been in our system for, like I said, five, six years now, and you've really seen them flourish. So, for example, um, Benji and uh, Sian were in the under-15 national yeah. team when they last last uh, last year that went to um, Indonesia, right? Yeah. Uh, so they, 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 those two players went and played in, in that competition, AFC, AFF and AFC under-15 championships. So tremendous. And then the other guy um, who comes from, he's in that batch is uh, Julian Romero. He's the guy who cycles from... Right. Um, from Keston City to to our training sessions, incredible, and yeah, and he was our academy player of, uh, player of the year for under yeah. under fifteens last year. So, you know, these kids have come through the system, and exactly what what we've been, we've discussed. You know, they were they were exposed to football from a very young age, and then were able to be housed by our academy, and and obviously have developed their the the other other aspect of their game, um, and 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 are, and are currently flourishing. And I think that there are endless possibilities for for those guys and other players who've come through from that program. So j yeah, just to shed a little bit of light on, on, on what they're talking about. Go ahead, Mick, you wanna say something? Yeah, so about the GKs, they have that mentality that they never back down. Like mm. Julian, he'll fight for every ball, every, like for 90 minutes straight. Yeah, that's one thing I like about their mentality. Yeah. Coming from that sort of background, they have that like street side mentality. Yeah. Yeah, I think that mentality is something that influences everyone. I mean, you see one guy on the pitch giving it his all, it just inspires everyone else to do the same. And I think going on, not just, because I mean, the GK and Kaya partnership wouldn't, I don't think it's only on the pitch. And really, if you look, if you look at us just socially, like look at the social classes, I mean, GK guys, I mean, the way football just brings together people from mm. different backgrounds is something that I don't think many other things can. Um, like Julian, like the way when we visited uh, the GK community, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just something that I don't think any of us would be happy living in, you know. Mm -hmm. But seeing the way that we're how close we are to these GK guys, how how often we hang out, how mm -hmm. often we just go out, not on a football day, it's just that friendship, that bond that develops because of football. I think yeah. it's something that is like very important. Yeah, special, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Go ahead, so, Brian. What do you want to so say? So I remember um, when Coach Thomas, he first brought in Jeffrey. So it started off with Jeffrey, came in Benji, and next thing you know, there we had about five GKs mm -hmm. in our team. And from the beginning, it was really amazing to see how at first, um, it was already mentioned at first, they weren't really, they were like always like grouped by Isolated. themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. And throughout all of that, when you see us today, you see like groups and we're always hanging out to them. It doesn't like, like Kirby said, no matter like the different like backgrounds. Before we used to kind of like, it was like a bit like segregated. segregated. Mm. Now you see us hanging out with all of them. You see us hanging out with us, um, playing with them. Like during group things, we, you see us playing with them. And it's just really nice to see how from what happened at the start, we kind of saw them like they were something else. And how now we're like a brotherhood with them. Like we visited them. Um, we played with the f our fellow GK friends mm -hmm. there. And they also really taught us about the physical aspect of football as well. Because at first we were a bit of like pushovers, okay? Mm. Like we were technically good, but we were like a bit like... Weak. Soft. Yeah, soft. so soft. Yeah. 
they really taught us how football is not a soft game. It's like a physical um, sport. You need to be able to play rough in order to get somewhere. Mm. So yeah, they really taught us that as well. It's quite interesting, isn't it? That we, we, we're sort of talking about how you, you obviously have your own ideas on how you would develop things. Yeah. And, and you've, you sort of touched upon some really key aspects of certainly my philosophy and, and what we're trying to do with the club. But how if that was, if that was replicated, let's say across a m- number of clubs, it could be clubs, it could be schools, and you kind of tap into some of those resources, you're going to find this amazing hybrid of uh, players like yourself who have had the benefit of playing under really good coaches, yeah. right? having excellent uh, tuition. You know, from, from a very young age, you've had um, instruction of what I would consider the highest level. But then when you temper that with kids who've had no instruction but are from a background that means they have to fight and they have to scrap for everything, all of a sudden you have this hybrid of high um, high level football IQ, yeah, right, with high level technical proficiency in in certain aspects, and then you temper that with this sort of street soccer element that comes with you know coming from these types of backgrounds and this strong mentality, yeah, and you create this hybrid of all of those things. It it's it's it creates I don't want to say a super team, but it creates this environment that is very very conducive to create high level football teams. Right, absolutely. If you were to, if you were to mesh um, those two ideals in a really really uh, well harnessed coherent way, you're going to have strong teams. Mm. And I'm not talking about just because they're here, but we've got good teams. Yeah, and I think when you uh, the amalgamation of all of those aspects in one group has led to them being successful and i don't just mean on the pitch actually yeah i don't mean it just on the pitch i think i'm talking about it socially i'm talking about how it impacts them as 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 individuals how it impacts them as a collective and how it gains a completely different perspective to one that they would have if they only integrate with people from the same socioeconomic backgrounds i think yeah that that to me is the most important you know not everyone's going to go on to become professional players even if you know uh, you don't know what what the future holds in that regard, but the effect of being integrated with these individuals and and sharing these moments and sharing these experiences has already shaped who you guys are as individuals, which is I believe the most important aspect of of football. It's a it's a medium for self development, and you guys are obviously getting a lot of the positives of it and and utilizing the negatives for lessons to be learned. You know. Um, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to see. You know, yeah. in six years, I'm sure. Likewise for Benji and Julian, uh, there there have been a lot of things that they have learned from you guys and and, and interacting with you guys and mm-hmm. maybe shaping the way they live their lives a little bit differently from those who they live with on a regular basis. So I, I believe that it's a, it's a mutual exchange that's being that's that's happening between yeah. you two. I mean, I want to just change gears a little bit with that um, because I think one of the other aspects that is really critical in in developing young athletes, young people, is, is obviously how your parents are. Yeah. You know, how, how, how family members um, interact with you, encourage you, or negative towards you, well, I don't know, it depends, depends on the, the type of environment that, that is produced by parents. But I, I want to, we've talked a lot about parents, haven't we, on this show, and how they can have a positive <laughs> and negative effect what are some of the positive experiences that you've experienced? And I don't necessarily mean your own parents here, because I don't want you to either talk negatively about your parents or talk up your parents too much. But what are some of the positive things that you've seen with with parents and, and how have they helped you along your journey? Go ahead, Mick. So for me, 
my parents have been really supportive so i think that's a good positive yeah that's why i think it's i want parents to watch their kids games because because like it's uh it's like showing your support of course you want to make your parents proud of what happens in the game yeah i mean your parents are always at, yeah, at the games that's right why i like it and all the time and like a negative thing well not really from my experience but like i think from parents they shouldn't really influence the decisions or like they shouldn't like influence what their child's doing in the game like they, they can't say like shout like something to do because like i think it, it could really play a big effect on the kids decision making during game and it could like ruin what the coach is trying to like give instructions because the parents are also trying to overlap that and stuff do you want to expand on that mick because i we, i've talked about that a lot actually on um on this show is that something that you've experienced i'm not saying from your your parents actually they're quite they're quite I mean, quiet on the side is it have you heard other parents shout things on the sideline and it has it have you found it distracting or have you found it yes to, yeah? it's like say you're in a situation where you're in, in like the midfield and there's or say say you're in the box and you wanna like <laughs> same as before yeah go on, and, go on. and you wanna and say there's like a, someone's open you're willing to do like a good pass to get the ball mm -hmm. keep possession and build up the play but then the parents are like oh clear it clear it clear it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, i think it's good to for to listen to what the coach is doing and to, to not follow what the parents really yeah because it could like, really influence the kids decision making as i said yeah <laughs> yeah okay go ahead enzo you have, you have something well i think too many people just look at that as too much of a negative you know parent commenting on what you do obviously if they shout at the coach if they're having an argument with the coach that's something that you don't want in a team but for me my dad he, he's always trying to give me information mm -hmm. but when i'm on the pitch that does it doesn't really translate at all i don't i don't hear anything everything's pretty much shut out but you know once the game's done everyone's going home when you're in the car and your dad you know i think most people have this experience of their dad whoever it is their uncle giving them advice tips after the game mm -hmm. but for me like although yeah it could conflict with what the coach is saying tactically i think i look at it i would look at that as kind of a positive knowing that somebody does care about what you're doing mm -hmm. and it shows that they do pay attention to what you do mm -hmm. and just having knowing that is just another sense of support that you have so although you could look at it as a negative i think there like there are there's it's fair share of positives. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean. fine. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think it's as long as the message is correct, right? Yeah. And, and the information that you're getting is good and it's not in conflict or... Yeah, uh, as long as you don't take in exactly what he says. I mean, just me knowing that my dad talks to me, that's good. Yeah, of course. But what he talks to me about, I just shut it out. <laughs> just, I know he's going to be listening to this at home, but... Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, you put your foot in it there. I think you should have stopped. You should yeah. have stopped when you... Which, oh, maybe we'll edit that one out. Maybe not, actually. Oh. No, we'll leave it in there. Papa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love you, Dad. Um, Go on, I'm, Juan. I'm really grateful for my parents, actually, and actually parents in general, because, first of all, they, they're the ones that are guiding me, and, like, I wouldn't be in Kaya because they have to pay for it, obviously. <laughs> but um, throughout all of this, like, international trips, they always want me... Like, they're trying to give me what would improve me most. Like, let me go to Spain, for example, to mm -hmm. play there. Let me go to a tournament in Thailand. Yeah. So, they're, I think they see something that has potential. And they really want to, like, invest in it. Yeah. And they really want... All they really want for me is to improve and to have fun in what I'm doing. That's great. 
What you say? You're you gonna say yeah. something? Like, like I've seen like a few examples of some kids like who are like really early on. They love playing football, but then their parents were like super pressuring, and um, they expected a lot of them at a really young age. Mm. Not on our team, but then so later on, like as it progressed, they kept pushing and pushing their kid, and then some of them like don't even play anymore because they they're burned out. And yeah. They don't like the game anymore. You've seen that a lot with your in your age group, I think specifically, yeah, exactly. right? You've seen a lot of the ta really talented players. There's like a lot of people who were really good before don't even don't even like playing anymore. Yeah. And how does that make you feel? Do you yeah, think it's sad? It just or? feels like it's a waste. You yeah. know, these guys could be like the next good football players, pro for the Ascals. Yeah. Then now they just don't play anymore. Yeah. What about you, Diego? Oh yeah, the parents also play a really big factor because knowing having that support just uh, with everyone here, just being able to, last year we went to Germany and Switzerland for tournaments. Um, having that support from your parents, knowing that, okay, they're putting their trust in you and trusting and supporting you that football is what you want. Football is what you want to get exposure to. Football isn't just always about um, just kicking a ball. At the same time, football is also just about being able to develop those values that you want. And last those parents, not just mine, but everyone in my team last year, last year was um, a year which really showed the the strength of our team, the durability and how much our team fights for each other. Because last year, for our squad was really depleted towards the finals and semifinals of the tournament. Uh, I got injured and <laughs> our other striker got injured. So knowing that the parents were still there to support us no matter what, having them be able to tell us that it's okay, that you'll be able to help your team in your other way, that made us realize that, okay, our team is still really capable of succeeding. And throughout the Europe trips, they were like, they realized that this was a good thing for us because it helped us be able to become more responsible and help us grow, not just in the sense of a football aspect, but be able to develop as people as well. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think, you know, we have a lot of parents that listen to the show and they, um, you know, they listen to some of the things that we say and like Enzo with his dad don't listen to it and they just end up doing their own thing, right? Um, <laughs> I, if, if you could send a message out to... Uh, parents in general, I'm not talking about your parents. Um, if you could send a message out to parents in general, what one thing specifically would you say to all the parents that are out there that you think would help people like yourself the most in terms of your development in the game of football? Do you, do you have one thing that you would like to say that you think would help all of the kids in your situation improve better? Um, I'd be... I'd suggest that they just continue to continue to support your children because once you don't support them and once they feel like okay i'm all alone in this that's when they feel as if they're not capable of doing something anymore so it's just if through the support of your parents it every single game if you're worn out if you're getting tired if your legs are starting to get heavy just when your parents are there having to scream and let's go saying let's go and just having a community and a family around you just being able to push you to go that extra mile mm -hmm. that's what really helps because um, as so many people say, it's the most what's really important is to have fun. Because once you're having, because once you're not having fun, it's not you're not going to be able to succeed in what you do anymore. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, just, just expanding on that, I think parents should push their child, but not push them to an extent where where they're forcing them to do something. Because obviously, if you're being forced to do something that you don't enjoy doing, I mean, it's bound for failure. You're going to work so hard for something that you don't want. And it's just going to come crashing down at some point. So I think, yeah, if, if your son doesn't want to do it, if your daughter doesn't want to do it, don't force him to. 
help like help them find something that they do enjoy doing and once they find that something push them encourage them and support them throughout throughout the the journey that's a great message thank you enzo um, go ahead Juan. like what like what enzo said um i think parents should really be like um they shouldn't be making the the decisions for their children like the f- football players the players themselves should be making their own decisions whether like for example um I want to go like I want to try and go to this place in order to improve. The parents should be shouldn't be saying like oh go there go there if, because it can contradict what the player wants. Okay, so I really think that it's um good that in our team um I've seen a lot of parents that they're always supportive and they're always like they let the children do what they want to do and they just no matter what choice you make they support you throughout that. Okay. Because at the end of that, then you have ownership over your own decisions, yeah, right? Exactly. And your own future. Yeah, so there's no one else to blame but yourself. But yourself. Okay, that's great. What about you, Mick? I think there's a fine line between the positives and the negatives. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, yeah, of course, the parents, they're really supportive, and that's a good thing. They push their child just enough, not too much, because it, be- it can be seen as a negative thing. Yeah. And something I want to talk about is, like, during the games, it's good that, like, the parents are, like, cheering them on and stuff, as I said earlier. But then... There is a fine line between the positive and the negative. So, like, it becomes negative when they start giving their kids, like, tactics and stuff like that. Because that should be let out for the coach. And But, yeah, it's positive when it's just uh, support, pushing your child, making sure they do what they love, and stuff like that. Would you prefer parents to shout, scream, cheer during the course of the game? Or would you prefer parents to be silent and just watch the game? Um, shout, scream, and cheer. You would prefer that? Yes. You prefer that you, like, atmosphere? like motivation in okay. your drive to do well. But the only caveat with that is is they don't inst- instruct. That's what, like that's what tactics, you were saying. Because that's why we have a coach. That's the okay. Encouragement, right. not instruction. Yes. All right. Okay. Interesting. Go ahead. Something like I see kind of often, which I don't really like, is like when the parents always shout at the ref on Oof. every single call against him. It's a big like, one. I had this one... I had this one game this summer when we went to uh, Solo where we had a game where we played this team who was really good. I think they uh, they play in a league with like Espanol or something. Okay. So we played them and the ref during the game, so the team was, so we were playing them and then there was like a, some controversial call or something where it was 1-1 at the time and then there was a penalty or something but then the keeper got a red card or something. So he had to get taken off, and then we scored the penalty, and then we won. So after the game, the parents of the other team rushed onto the field, and they started cornering the ref, making threats. So oh, wow. they, they wouldn't allow him to get back into his car. So really? Was, yeah. Go ahead, Enzo. Yeah, and I was, I was watching a... Oof. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was watching a short documentary uh, on why there are so much less younger refs, and the big reason... I mean, there's pretty much only one reason is that the parents and the influence that they have over the ref is just something that you that they can't handle emotionally. Because, yeah. I mean, you'd look at them. What do you think they are? Robots? No, because imagine if you were doing something, you were doing your job as best as you could. You're doing your job with all the information that you've obtained throughout the years. But somebody who has so much less information, who knows so much less than you, is trying to instruct you, shout at you, tell you what to do when they really don't have the right to do that, it's something that just burns you out. 
So yeah, yeah that's yeah. a big reason that there's no more. And, and I think we've all been guilty of probably shouting at the referee. Not me, not me. No, you're not a referee no. shouter. No, you're not. Didn't play enough. So you know. If you were in the crowd though, would you abuse an official if they made nah, a bad call? It's not really my thing. Um, like like Enzo said, you know, they're not trying to be bad at what they're doing. They're doing their best and they're using the information that's in front of them. So shouting at them doesn't help the situation in making them make the right calls, you know? So it, it's amazing the amount of abuse these guys have. It's like, who wants to run for 90 minutes and be shouted at for 90 minutes? I think know? it's even worse in the youth league also because we just have the same refs over and over and again. Yeah. So they'll, they'll do easily six, seven hours at a venue right it's a lot of games. and it's just game after game after game right so if you're getting the game at three or four o'clock yeah like i might have been there since eight o'clock yeah seven o'clock for call time and 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 like you mentioned it's you're being shouted out by, by individuals who might know less than you who don't even know the game but definitely right? not as qualified yeah right so all these officials are qualified they've gone through whatever process to get themselves qualified as a referee yeah but the worst thing about it is if you're if you see your you look over the sideline you see your dad and you see your mom abusing the referee what what message is that sending to your kid you know so your kid is then now feeling empowered to abuse the referee as well and, and how does that make you feel as kids if you see your parents abusing embarrassing embarrassing, right? embarrassing and it's disappointing as well yeah and what we notice in europe is that they're very respectful for the refs and except and we, in that example there except that <laughs> um, yeah. when we went to switzerland uh, the first thing we found out is that they um, formerly, they call their refs uh, sometimes in Zurich, they call them Mr. They call yeah. them Herr Fischer. So we so much show them respect. And at the same time, um, he always, he, they, that's the thing they want to instill on the players that you, football is also about respect. About a lot of the things now football is trying to promote is um, fairness, equality, respect. And if people continue to bash the referees, it's just going against everything football aims to promote and stand for. Yeah, it's a great point. Go ahead, mate. You want to say something? Um, yeah, so one thing I want to talk about is I remember last year in one of our YFL games, there was this incident where the coach actually like shouting at the ref and he actually got a red card. I know you guys remember that. And then he like walked off, walked off. the. He just like went in his car and he left the game. <laughs> and then and then I noticed that the kids were really embarrassed for the coach, which is really not influence. Yeah, it's really bad for the development of the club. Yeah. Okay. I really feel for the rest because not only do they have to run for 90 minutes, which is already a hard task, they have to run for 90 minutes and while doing that, they have to pay attention of every aspect of the game. Mm -hmm. and the fact that people are screaming at them, what can the ref do about it? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. try and putting yourself in his place. It's not easy task at all. And like you've said, some it's the same refs a lot of times in our games. So imagine they play in U9 games, U11 games, U13 games just in one day. Imagine how like burnt out they are already. So um, we should be like um, we should feel for them, and we should just like instead of screaming at them, just just let the game go on. Because the the more you scream at the ref, possibly he'll even go against your team. That happens a lot, right? Yeah. Go ahead, Enzo. Well, um, I think going back to what Diego was saying about the respect that they have in Europe. I mean, obviously it's not perfect. It will never be perfect. We're all humans, but we were we had a game, and it was a pretty pretty tight tight game. And we had a through ball. The ref called it offside, but then they, they actually had a man who was like all the way back. You remember that, right, Diego? Yeah. yeah. So he called it offside. Coach Thomas was fuming, mm -hmm. like absolutely fuming. It was 1-1 one, one or 0-0 zero, zero at the time. Fuming, like crazy. But the referee came to Coach Thomas, I think. He raised his hands up. He apologized. 
And then after that, you know, tensions just die down. And then I think that's the important thing, having the respect for the referee. He acknowledges a mistake and you don't hold it against him. Yeah. I think one of the one of the key issues here is is twofold with the with the officiating. One is they don't really get the backing that they deserve. So things like from the federation, I don't yeah. think is like actually having them go and do enough instructions, do enough courses to enable them to be of an elevated standard. Because one of the frustrations that I know we we have is, is some of the errors are glaring. You know when they don't know the the full rules and stuff like that. Yeah. Like that is frustrating. We've all been at those tournaments where they're like. Oh, he doesn't know the back pass rule. He doesn't know this rule. He doesn't know that rule. And it is frustrating. But I think what these guys are really intimating is that, look, listen, they're doing their best with what they have. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. But they are humans and they don't deserve to be abused because at the end of the day, the game wouldn't take place if it wasn't for these people. And they're, you know, going out on a Saturday and Sunday morning and giving up their time, probably earning very little money to go and officiate these games. And I think it's only going to dwindle yeah. in terms of numbers if people continue to, to be abusive which which to be honest we see that quite a lot and I know I'm guilty of it from time to time more so as a player when I played I would abuse the referee really? yeah oh, oh a lot really? a lot I would abuse <laughs> the referees a lot in my mind it's justified like in my mind I think if it's on the pitch in a pro game I would do whatever it takes to win mm -hmm. and if I think I can influence a referee to give me a decision one yeah. way or another I would do it is it right? Maybe not, but whatever. I'll do what I need needs to be done to, right. get, to get the win. Would I advise sixteen-year-old kids doing it? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. So do as I say, not as I do. Okay, <laughs> that's the, that's the message. As, there. as you did. As I did. That was a, as, a no, previous I, version of Chris. No, because I reckon if I do join in sessions, I'm still really abusive towards officials. <laughs> Even if it's coach, <laughs> if it's coach Thomas taking a session yeah. and I jump in, I'm still going to abuse him. So. Players versus coaches. <laughs> right. I always blame the referees. It's <laughs> hilarious. So there we go. Just full disclosure. Full yeah? disclosure. Yeah, I'm open. I'm honest. Yeah. I, won't, I won't lie. I can't lie to these boys. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. What I would like to discuss a little bit is what does the future hold, in your opinion, for Philippine football? Like, do you do you think it's a it's a bright horizon? Like, do you think there is there is a there's a pipeline of really talented players coming through? What what are your what's your sort of take on on the the brightness of Philippine football? Go ahead, Taylor. What? Like, I've been watching uh, the Ascals for like a few years. I mm -hmm. remember I attended the game like a few years ago where we beat Sri Lanka like 4-0 or something mm -hmm. and we were like amazed that we beat a team like that we thought it never <laughs> happened and then now we're here tiny, tying China 0-0 yeah and like a few years ago we had the PFL right and I just think that that's like a really good idea like the home and away mm. part of it like the fact that each club gets their own city that they mm -hmm. have like like uh, Kai was based in Makati before and mm -hmm. I attended like um, like the yeah. home game yeah right? So um, I think that's like that's how you get people to watch because they don't support a team because because they like the players they support a team because that's where they're born that's where they're from it's like their identity yeah great yeah I mean f continuing from what he said like you look at Europe right every uh, like people make jokes about it you can change your girlfriend <laughs> you can change your wife but you can never never ever change your football team and because it's really just part of your identity and I think without that home and away structure it's something that is kind of lacking in the Philippine football league yeah. at the moment. I mean, if if Kaya, like for us, uh, Kaya, it's not their fault, but it's just the league structure as a whole. Yeah. If Kaya is Kaya FC Ilo Ilo, but we all we all, but all the games are played in the mm -hmm. NCR. I mean, what what do the people from Ilo Ilo? I mean, what do they think? Yeah. 
they really you know you know it's just mm. it's just a name it's just it's just a front that they're putting up yeah okay and do you think that's diluted the league a little bit oh yeah um again the reason that they're doing this uh like there's no the reason that there's no more home and away structure is because of the financial reasons yeah. but i think going back to what i said investment it's going to be you know they're not going to be making that much money for now but if you do put in the money for the home and away structure people will more people will watch the games that you know causes promotion and that just again just means positives for the entire footballing community of the philippines mm. All right, interesting. Yeah. What you, Diego? And at the same time, um, yeah, I feel like the Philippine footballs could go uh, is going on a good track at the same time because knowing that the league I are getting more more and more sponsors each year and having to be being able to be sponsored by like um companies such as Qatar and soon being able to be able to have that financial stability in the league, it's gonna not a lot of the teams in the past years such as teams. Uh, such as Dava that weren't that aren't here this season, um, and Global that were absent last year. That was primarily due to financial reasons. And knowing that with more sponsors and more financial stability, it's gonna be able to promote and bring in more teams, not just in the not in just the Luzon and NCR region, but teams also in Visaya, such as places in Cebu and um, Mindanao, and just being able to expand the game of football, not just in Luzon, because a lot of the times Football is just seen in the Luzon area, and we fail to see the talent that is also present in places such as Visayas and Mindanao. Mm -hmm. And that's when the only time we're able to see that is such as national team tryouts and maybe things when we go there to like Bacolod. Mm -hmm. And that's the only times we're able to realize that okay, football is really something that the Philippines can be really good for because we know that the Philippines, ha the Filipinos are, be if. It, Football is able to spread. The Filipinos are able to devote more time into it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be put f football on a good trap. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's unfortunate because looking at the AFC, the, the game last night, uh, or a couple nights ago, but Saras played Bal United. Yeah. 4-0 here. But, I mean, the stadium was, was it empty because of the Corona? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was empty. But even then, even if it wasn't closed, we wouldn't have that, you know, that support that, Bali would have if if they played there in Jakarta in in Indonesia in Bali, mm. but it's unfortunate because we do have that quality. Or the Philippine football league does yeah. have that quality. Like we do have the we do have the capabilities yeah. to promote football and have support from people around. Yeah, because if you're gonna if the best team in the Philippines is gonna beat one of the best teams in Indonesia, I mean what, that easily. Yeah, yeah, that four nil. And you look if you watch a Bali game, Persibaya game. Um, all the games in um in the Liga One in Indonesia, crazy amount of fans, yeah. twenty thousand, thirty thousand, yeah. full stadiums yeah. every single game, night in, night out. So it's just unfortunate that we don't have that support. Yeah, I think that um actually like you look at it now, you see KFC and Ceres, they're really competing really well in the AFC Cup. Like Ceres won the AFC Cup, they're one game away from getting into the AFC Champions League. Mm -hmm. We weren't this level um about six years ago we were nowhere close and now you see like the improvement like Kirby said beating bali united mm -hmm. 4-0 beating um all like all these teams that they beat port fc i think mm -hmm. in thailand yeah that's a really good improvement and i think that transmits as well to the youth saying that the philippines we do have potential and it's your decision where you want to take it that's brilliant mm -hmm. great thanks man and so yeah, yeah and i think uh Ceres is a relatively new club right when was it 
2012, 2012, 2012, yeah. 2012. Oh, what, what year was it? Yeah, Vanessa. Okay, well, yeah. Pretty recent, not even a decade old. But if you see that improvement from a super young club, I mean, what could it mean for youth who are really already developing? Imagine if they had that backing financially, you know, that, that just that support that a club would give them. Imagine how much better they could get. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Brilliant. Mick, anything? Uh, I mean, what they said, they pretty much cleared everything. But like, it comes down to the promotion and investment. Because at the end of the day, look, the Arkaya first team, they work so hard. They organize, the AFC organizes everything just to play in front of what? Like, not even a thousand fans. 400. Yeah, not even. Yeah. I, I just think it's unfair. And we need more people to, I mean, we need more promotion, more footballing in the Philippines to be more prevalent. Great. 100%. Wow. Uh, you know what, guys? Um, first of all, I want to say thank you for coming on the show and speaking so openly, so honestly and eloquently yeah. on the show. I think, um, you know, one of the benefits that I've had since stepping away from first team football is um, being able to spend a lot more time with the with the youth um uh, the, the youth teams we have and you know this group is a phenomenal group of not just footballers but of, of young men and I'm really happy that they got to come on the on the show and and voice um, mm. their opinions because obviously they're not just robots they have very strong uh, opinions um, they have a very informed opinion yeah on on a number of different issues and are able to articulate that extremely well so um, yeah, I, I would love to say thank you for you guys for coming on. And uh, yeah, some of that, I think, will hopefully reverberate throughout the, the youth football community. And I hope that a lot of people will listen to some of the things that you said and some of the suggestions that you made, because I think a lot of what you said makes perfect sense. And when you've got a lot of people at the top of the tree who are making decisions who aren't as informed as you, because they're not on the ground, they're not playing in these games, they're not seeing the officiating, they're not witnessing the antics of the parents on the sideline, they're not seeing how by not investing in, in things that's going to impact you, specifically you guys, in the next two, four, six, ten years. They should be listening to you. And I'm glad that you were able to come on the show and, and speak as openly and as wonderfully as you did. Of course, thank you for having us. Thank you. I learned a lot today. You know, like, I'm optimistic uh, by nature about what's next in store for Philippine football. But speaking to you, gentlemen, makes me feel even better about what's on the horizon for Philippine football. So again, thank you for coming. And uh, in a few years time, hopefully we'll be able to speak again on this program. Hopefully. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode on this Football Friday. Five gentlemen here who represent sort of a, the youth of Philippine football and will provide us um, things to look forward to in years to come. Um, fantastic chat, Chris. Thanks to everybody for watching and we hope you watch us on the next Football Friday. <laughs>